Welcome to Frig Friday, featuring Sigrid Unset's Kristen Lovren's Daughter, read by Michelle Hammond, sponsored by Gal's Guide. Kristen Lovren's Daughter by Sigrid Unset Winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature Book One The Wreath Part One Jorengard Chapter Six Arno was home at Finsbrecken for the last time before he left for Hamar. His mother and sisters were outfitting him with clothes. The day before he was supposed to ride south, he went to Jorengard to say farewell. There he asked Kristen, in a whisper, whether she would meet him on the road south of Laugerbrew on the following evening. "'I would like us to be alone, just the two of us, the last time we meet,' he said. "'Do you think that's too much to ask? We, who have grown up together as brother and sister,' he added, when Kristen hesitated a moment before replying. Then she promised to come, if she could slip away from home. The next morning it snowed, but later in the day it began to rain, and soon the roads and fields were nothing but grey mud. Wisps of fog hovered and drifted along the mountain ridges, occasionally dropping down and twining into white mist at the foot of the mountains, but then the weather closed in again. Sarah Eyrick came over to help Lovrens put together several boxes of letters. They went into the hearth house because it was more comfortable there in that kind of weather than in the larger house where the fireplace filled the room with smoke. Ronfred was at Laugerbrew, where Romborg was recuperating from an illness and fever she had suffered earlier that fall. So it was not difficult for Kristen to slip away from the farm unnoticed. She didn't dare take a horse, so she went on foot. The road was a morass of slushy snow and withered leaves. The air smelled mournfully raw and dead and moldy, and now and then a gust of wind would blow the rain right into her face. Kristen pulled her hood up over her head and held her cloak closed with both hands as she walked briskly onward. She was a little apprehensive. The clamor of the river sounded so muffled in the oppressive air, and the clouds were black and ragged, drifting above the mountain crests. Occasionally, she would stop and listen behind her, thinking that she might hear Arna. After a while, she became aware of a horse's hooves on the sodden road, and then she stopped, for she had reached a rather desolate spot and thought it would be a suitable place for them to say goodbye to each other undisturbed. A moment later, she saw the rider appear behind her, and Arna jumped down from his horse, leading it forward as he walked toward her. "'It was good of you to come,' he said, in this awful weather." It's worse for you, who will have to ride such a long way. But why are you leaving so late in the evening? Jan has invited me to stay at Lopsgard tonight, said Arna, and I thought it would be easier for you to come here at this time of day. They stood in silence for a moment. Kristen thought she had never before realized how handsome Arna was. He wore a shiny steel helmet, and under it a brown woolen hood that framed his face and spread out over his shoulders. Underneath, his thin face looked so bright and fair. His leather breastplate was old, flecked with rust, and scratched from the coat of mail that had been worn over it. Arna's father had given it to him. But it fit snugly over his slender, lithe, and strong body. He wore a sword at his side and carried a spear in his hand. His other weapons hung from his saddle. 
He was a full-grown man and looked imposing. Kristen put her hand on his shoulder and said, Do you remember, Arna, that you once asked me whether I thought you were as splendid a fellow as Simon Andresen? I want to tell you something now, before we part. You seem to me as much his superior in fair appearance and bearing as he is held above you in birth and wealth by people who value such things most. Why are you telling me this? asked Arna breathlessly. Because Brother Edvin impressed on my heart that we should thank God for his good gifts and not be like the woman who wept because she had no bowls when St. Olaf multiplied the meat for her. So you shouldn't fret over the fact that he hasn't given you as much wealth as he has physical gifts. Is that what you meant? said Arna. And when Kristen didn't reply, he went on. I was wondering whether you meant that you would rather have been married to me than to that other man. I probably would, at that, she said quietly, for I know you much better. Arna threw his arms around her so tight that he lifted her feet off the ground. He kissed her face many times, but then he set her down. God help us, Kristen, you're such a child. She stood there with her head bowed, but she kept her hands on his shoulders. He gripped her wrists and held them tight. I see now that you don't realize, my sweet, how my heart aches because I'm going to lose you. Kristen, we've grown up together like two apples on a branch. I loved you before I began to realize that one day someone else would come and tear you away from me, and as certain as God had to die for us all, I don't know how I can ever be happy again in this world after today. Kristen wept bitterly and lifted her face so that he could kiss her. Don't talk like that, my Arna, she begged, patting his arm. Kristen, said Arna in a muted voice, taking her in his arms again. Couldn't you consider asking your father? Lovrens is such a good man. He would never force you against your will. Couldn't you ask him to wait a few years? No one knows how my fortune may change. We're both so young. I must do what those at home want me to do, she sobbed. Then tears overcame Arna, too. You have no idea, Kristen, how much I love you. He hid his face on her shoulder. If you did, and if you loved me too, then you would go to Lovren's and beg him sweetly. I can't do that, sobbed the maiden. I don't think I could ever love a man so dearly that I would go against my parents' will for his sake. She slipped her hands under Arna's hood and heavy steel helmet to find his face. You mustn't cry like that, Arna, my dearest friend. I want you to have this, he said after a moment, giving her a small brooch. And think of me now and then, for I will never forget you or my sorrow. It was almost completely dark by the time Kristen and Arna had said their last farewells. She stood and gazed after him when he finally rode away. A yellow light shone through the clouds, and the light was reflected in their footsteps, where they had walked and stood in the slush of the road. It looked so cold and bleak, she thought. She pulled out the linen cloth covering her bodice and wiped her tear-streaked face. Then she turned around and set off for home. She was wet and cold, and she walked fast. After a while, she heard someone approaching on the road behind her. She was a little frightened. It was possible that strangers might be traveling on this main road, even on an evening like this, and she had a lonely stretch ahead of her. Steep black scree rose up on one side, but on the other there was a sharp drop-off, covered with pine woods all the way down to the pale, leaden river at the bottom of the valley. 
so she was relieved when the person behind her called her name. She stopped and waited. The person who approached was a tall, thin man wearing a dark surcoat with lighter-colored sleeves. When he came closer, Kristen saw that he was dressed as a priest and carried an empty knapsack on his back. She now recognized Ben Tyne Prestison, as they called him, Sarah Irick's grandson. She noticed at once that he was quite drunk. "'Well, one departs and the other arrives,' he said, and laughed after they had greeted each other. "'I met Arna from Brecon just now, and I see that you're walking along and crying. So how about giving me a little smile because I've come back home? The two of us have also been friends since childhood, haven't we?' "'It's a poor bargain to have you come back to the valley in his stead,' said Kristen crossly. She had never liked Bentine. "'Quite a few people will say the same, I'm afraid. And your grandfather was so happy that you were getting on so well down south in Oslo.' "'Oh, yes,' said Bentine, with a snicker and a sneer. "'So you think I was getting on well, do you? Like a pig in a wheat field. That's how it was for me, Kristen.' and the end result was the same. I was chased off with a shout and a long stick. Well, well, he doesn't have much joy from his offspring, my grandfather. Why are you walking so fast? I'm freezing, said Kristen curtly. No more than I am, said the priest. The only clothing I have to wear is what you see. I had to sell my cape for food and ale and Lillehammer. But you must still have warmth in your body from saying farewell to Arna. I think you should let me come under your furs with you. And he seized hold of her cloak, threw it around his shoulders, and wrapped his wet arm around her waist. Kristen was so startled by his boldness that it took a moment for her to regain her senses. Then she tried to tear herself away, but he was holding on to her cloak, and it was fastened with a sturdy silver clasp. Bentine put his arms around her again and tried to kiss her, shoving his mouth close to her chin. She tried to strike him, but he was gripping her upper arms. I think you've lost your mind, she seethed as she struggled against him. How dare you manhandle me as if I were a... You're going to regret this bitterly tomorrow, you miserable wretch. Oh, tomorrow you won't be so stupid, said Bentine, tripping her with his leg so that she fell to her knees in the mud of the road. Then he pressed his hand over her mouth. And yet Kristen still did not think to scream. Now she finally realized what he intended to do to her, but rage overcame her with such fury and violence that she hardly felt any fear. She snarled like an animal in battle and fought against this man who was holding her down so that the ice-cold snow water soaked through her clothing and reached her burning hot flesh. "'Tomorrow you'll know enough to keep quiet,' said Bentine. "'And if it can't be concealed, you can always blame Arna. "'People will sooner believe that.' "'He had put a finger in her mouth, so she bit him with all her might, "'and Bentine screamed and loosened his grip. "'As quick as lightning, Kristen pulled one hand free and shoved it into his face, "'pressing her thumb as hard as she could into his eye. "'He bellowed and got up on one knee.' She wriggled free like a cat, pushed the priest so that he fell onto his back, and then ran off down the road as the mud spurted up behind her with every step. She ran and ran without looking back. She heard Bentine coming after her, and she raced off with her heart pounding in her throat as she moaned softly and peered ahead. Would she never reach Laugerbrew? At last, Kristen came to the part of the road where it passed through the fields. 
She saw buildings clustered on the hillside and suddenly realized that she didn't dare go to her mother, not the way she looked, covered with mud and withered leaves from head to toe, her clothing torn. She could feel Bentine coming closer. She bent down and picked up two big rocks, and when he was near enough, she threw them. One of them struck him so hard that it knocked him down. Then she started running again and didn't stop until she stood on the bridge. Trembling, she stood there holding on to the railing. Everything went black and she was afraid that she would sink into unconsciousness. But then she thought about Bentine. What if he came and found her like that? Shaking with shame and bitterness, she kept on going, but her legs could hardly bear her, and now she felt how her face stung from the scratches of his fingernails, and she had hurt both her back and her arms. Tears came, hot as fire. She wished Bentine would be dead from the rock she had thrown. She wished she had gone back and put an end to him, that she had taken out her knife, but she noticed that she must have lost it. Then she realized again that she dared not be seen like this at home. It occurred to her that she could go to Roman guard. She would complain to Sarah Eyrick. But the priest had not yet returned from Jorengard. In the cookhouse she found Gunhild, Bentine's mother. The woman was alone, and then Kristen told her how her son had behaved toward her, but she didn't mention that she had gone out to meet Arna. When she realized that Gunhild thought she had been at Laugerbru, she didn't dissuade her. Gunhild said very little, but cried a great deal as she washed Kristen's clothing and mended the worst rips, and the young girl was so distressed that she didn't notice the glances Gunhild cast at her in secret. As Kristen was leaving, Gunhild put on her own cloak and followed her out the door, but then headed toward the stable. Kristen asked her where she was going. "'Surely I should be allowed to ride over and tend to my son,' said the woman, "'to see if you've killed him with that rock, or what's happened to him.' Kristen had nothing to say in reply. So she simply told Gunhild to make sure that Bentine left the village as soon as possible. She never wanted to lay eyes on him again. Or I'll speak of this to Lavrens, and then you can well imagine what will happen. Bentine headed south hardly more than a week later. He carried letters to the Bishop of Hamar from Sarah Eirik, asking the bishop if he could find some occupation for Bentine, or give him some assistance. 